Blog Talk Radio. This land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. children can run free so my hand and walk this land with me and walk this lovely land with me though I Good evening and welcome to uh, Yada Yada Radio. It's my pleasure to be with you. We have uh, Kirk here with us this evening. And uh, Kirk, it's amazing that uh, we are actually starting at the appropriate time now that uh, the continental U.S. is in standard time. Um, And there doesn't seem to be a glitch of any kind, so that's all quite good. Uh, Three items in the news that I want to cover real quickly before we get back into our material. The first of them is that uh, scientists worldwide, Um, CDC included, uh, as well as the World Health Organization, cannot figure out why there are so few deaths and so few reported cases of COVID in the African continent. I'm going to give you the most uh, stark example, Nigeria. Nigeria has a population of 200 million. That would be uh, essentially uh, two-thirds the size of the United States. We're, what, 350 million? So about 60% yeah. of the United States is the total population. From the beginning of the COVID epidemic to today, in Nigeria, where only 6% of the population is uh, vaccinated and where there have never been any lockdowns, where masks are infrequently worn, where hygiene is a problem. There have been a total of 3,000 deaths. The United States loses 3,000 people in two days Hmm. to COVID. And the entire African continent with the exception of the Republic of South Africa, which is, um, uh, you know, that's a house of fire. Uh, It's got every possible thing wrong, uh, including a riotous population. But every other country on the African continent is having an exceedingly small reaction to uh, 
to COVID, even though hygiene is very poor, mass mandates are almost non-existent, uh, and there have been no lockdowns. So it does tell you that the world's reaction of let's shut everybody down and control everybody, uh, not very smart. That the idea of let's shut down business because liberals love to control it, not very smart. It tells you that the analysis we did on COVID two years ago, which is, yep, people are going to get sick. It's a really, really nasty virus because it it combines uh, HIV and a little Ebola, and so it's going to attack every aspect of your body. And if you're a long-haul COVID victim, uh, it's really, really, really bad. So they really don't know what the issues are in Africa. One possibility is that uh, malaria and the, uh, the antibodies that are necessary to fight off malaria, another virus, or the drugs used for malaria, have a positive effect because malaria is the biggest killer in Africa. And mm-hmm. being a virus, uh, it has a positive effect. Another is that uh, they don't like to talk about this, but uh, HIV in many countries in Africa is... Uh, very, very high. I think like 40% of the people have HIV. And the HIV medications uh, are also seem to be um, having an effect. So it could be both of those two things. Yeah. It could be the fact that uh, the population of Africa is uh, uh, on average, I think the average uh, mean average is 23 years old, where in Europe it's uh, about 45. So they're half the age on average, and younger people have a tendency to fare a little better. It could yeah. be the fact that, that they aren't confined to close proximity indoors. There's not a lot of urban areas. People are more spread out, and they spend more of their life uh, outdoors. And the virus mm-hmm. does not like sunlight. And so it could be any one of those things, but um, nonetheless... That's uh, it is certainly something to uh, to consider. Yeah. Um, the next thing I want to talk about is uh, a house of fire. Um, the U.S. Uh, has been spending money uh, at a uh, at a rate that is mind blowing. Uh, this year. The federal budget that the Biden administration uh, has uh, passed for uh, for the current fiscal year, rather than being you know three trillion is kind of where we had inched up to three to two trillion, mm-hmm. right? It's now it's now over six trillion. We damn near doubled the federal budget. In addition to that, we have passed legislation over the last two years for six point five trillion dollars for COVID relief. Rather than just let business run, we devastated it and we've weakened our currency and increased our debt over six trillion dollars for COVID relief. On top of that, that Mm -hmm. now on top of this, the Biden administration now has a federal budget that's uh, over six trillion dollars. We've spent over $6 trillion on COVID relief. Uh, the first uh, bill that, uh, that the Biden administration passed was over a, billion, over a trillion dollars 
for additional COVID relief. Then he had his uh, infrastructure bill, which was over a trillion dollars. And they just pa- passed the Build Back Better, which has, of course, nothing to do with building. It's a strictly a social co- socialist socialist uh, uh, bill that uh, mm-hmm. is all about rewarding failure and, and uh, redistributing wealth. Uh, and that one's two trillion, which Congress just passed. I mean, it's it's like they have no concept of of the value of money or what it does when you you uh, create this kind of spending and debt. The U.S. national debt is recorded right now at twenty nine trillion dollars. If you add in the unfunded mandates uh, of uh, of the Social Security liability beyond the the um, what has been put in reserve for it. Social Security is 22 trillions in arrears in terms of an unfunded mandate. Medicare is 34 trillion dollars in arrears in terms of an unfunded mandate. And the total U.S. unfunded liabilities of all kinds right now are 161 trillion dollars. <laughs> the U.S annual budget medicaid medicare is 1.3 trillion a year now social security is 1.1 trillion a year the defense department um, is 717 billion to which you have to add about 300 additional billion for uh spine spine yeah the interest on the debt even at low interest rates is uh 400 billion dollars a year So U.S. current spending rates right now are projected for the current year at $6,850,000,000,000. It's just absolutely astonishing. If you look at the numbers, in, mm-hmm. uh, in 1980, the debt to GDP, gross to, uh, domestic product, uh, was 34%. Today, debt, the federal debt to GDP is 126%. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's unsustainable. Uh, you, you can't function. We're, we're, we're just, we're, we're so far out of kilter, I feel like Moses. I, I just want to stammer. Yeah. Not fair to Moses, by the way. I know he claimed that he was that he had a, a thick tongue, and therefore people say, "Well, he must have been a stutter with a thick tongue." I, I don't know what what the issue was. Uh, you know, I've spent the last two months doing nothing but translating Moshe's uh, speeches out of Dabadiim. He's the most articulate man I have ever listened to. So I'll tell you what: we should all be be stutterers. So yeah. Give me okay. The last tongue. thing I want to talk about is Kyle. Yeah. Uh, I, the uh, uh, the alleged Vincelante that uh, uh, that uh, call uh, Rittenhouse that uh, Biden called a, a right wing um, uh, supremacist. Uh, I uh, paid no attention to his trial. Uh, it just didn't have any interest to me because here was a kid, 17 years old. He shows up at a, uh, a Black Lives Matter uh, protest 
where they were burning down uh, cities in Wisconsin. And he's on video saying that, you know, he's got his medical kit. He's there to help people. And he does have a uh, an AR-15 uh, should uh, somebody need protection. And uh, and so he was being tried. And, uh, and, and I said, gosh, you know, that's just not my thing. I I if you can't use your words, then, uh, then I'm out. OK, I'm yeah, I'm not a guy that uh, that carries a gun out off my own property to do anything but protect my own family uh, from imminent harm. So now I'm just not that guy. Now, I understand that that uh, there's a lot of people who think that it's appropriate to be armed and to keep others from uh, looting uh, innocent individuals and, and businesses. Uh, and that's really supposed to be the government's job. And I understand the government doesn't do its job anymore. And that the liberals who control our government are would uh, seem to uh, to applaud protesters when those protesters are both uh, violent uh, and uh, and thieves. But anyway, this, that's what this kid did. So I paid no attention to it because it's just not my kind of uh, of case. Um, uh, there's no issues in it that resonate with me. But I figured that because it was the the most watched story in the, in the news, that I should at least look at the video evidence because I was told that um, there were videos shot from every which way of that day. Uh, and so you could determine whether or not this guy was uh, guilty or innocent just by watching the, uh, the videos. And so I watched them. Mm-hmm. And it's as black and white as anything could possibly be that any rational person watching the videos sees that the first guy that uh, uh, that uh, was shot and killed, who, by the way, was uh, just got out of prison uh, for domestic violence uh, and uh, uh, armed robbery, uh, lots of, of various. A lot of violence. Yeah. Oh, yeah, a lot of violence. Yes. That he threatened to kill Rittenhouse, the 17-year-old young man, and went after him aggressively and grabbed his gun while threatening to kill him. So, first of all, the guy's a bum. He's not not black. This is not a racial incident. In fact, each of the people shot were also Caucasians. Most people don't know that, but that is the case. But the... The first person shot and killed was a thug, and uh, and he initiated the the problem with uh, Rittenhouse, and chased after him, threatened him, and grabbed his gun before he was shot and killed. Textbook um, self-defense. Then mm-hmm. there were uh, three others. One guy that that witnessed this. And went up and jump kicked him. You know how you you can jump up in the air and then you 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 kick somebody. He jump kicked him, kicked him in the head. Jeez. Yeah. And uh, uh, another guy took while he was down on the ground, took his skateboard and whacked him on the side of the head with his skateboard. And then others started chasing him, threatening to kill him. And you can watch the whole video. Hmm. The, these thugs at these Black Lives Matter rallies 
had no moral fiber as part of their, they are thugs they were violent they attacked him and he defended himself there this is <laughs> we can watch the video and so you've got the President of the United States calling him on a white supremacist. He's uh, exonerated all charges, not guilty. Today, and the President says he's uh, angry. <laughs> what a piece of crap. You, you have CNN uh, correspondence that says that, that uh, I, that he was exonerated because of white privilege. No, he was being tried because he's white. He shouldn't even have been there. The judge, who was appointed by a Democrat, and therefore liberal, told the prosecution, you violated almost every part of the U.S. Constitution and your prosecution. Yelled at him. Said, you know, I mean, I, I, beyond words how far afield your prosecution has been and how illegal and unconstitutional it's been. But liberals don't care. Honesty and integrity mean nothing. It's like the whole climate change, global warming fiasco where a huge part of the presentation is a pile of lies. They know their lies and they promote them thinking, well, we're justified in doing so. You can read articles that says that climate change is threatening the unborn babies of pregnant women. You, know, you hear that it's, it's about to kill off the polar bears. And, and yet the idiots that, uh, that do the documentaries, they're fabricating everything. And they feel like they're justified in doing so. We've lost it as a country in terms of uh, our judicial system and our, and our personal integrity. There were liberals after liberals in the media that, in fact, one congressman that said, you know, this is just a, uh, a, a product of, of white tears. He only was uh, exonerated because of white tears. And the protesters are threatening violence as a as retribution. I, I'm sorry. Between what we have done to ourselves economically, because we are absolute dunderheads in terms of economics, one of the problems with, with democracy is that the people who vote have no clue as it relates to economics and no. shouldn't be voting. And, you know, here's the... Uh, in our last election, because people didn't like Trump's personality, they voted uh, uh, to replace the Congress, Senate, and the White House with Democrats who have been absolutely out of touch with reality and have buried the country. So, you want to know how America gets destroyed? You now know we did it to ourselves. All right, returning to where we were. I had to, I had made some fairly bold statements, uh, uh, Kirk, uh, that the entirety uh-huh. of Zachariah, very important prophetic book, 
was written for a singular purpose. There's only one theme in the book. If it's in that book, it's about one thing. Yeah. And that Today. one thing is Yom Kippurim, the Day of Reconciliation, the year uh-huh. 6000 Yah, October 2nd, yep. 2033, going to commence at 6.22 p.m. sunset in Jerusalem on that day. The entire book is written for that. So we got into the, the, the story in, uh, uh, in Zechariah 3 uh, about the high priest, and the high priest is, you know, called a scallywag, and his associates are called scallywags. And, uh, and he says, you know, he's, he's covered in his own excrement, filth. Pretty mm-hmm. foul. And finally, he has to be cleaned of his own wrongdoing. And so, you know, the Christian, well, this, this is Jesus they're talking about here. Well, if he's being cleansed of his own wrongdoing, he's got... Feces all over him. Sacrificial lamb. You, you got a real problem with your your Jesus, and he's being lectured by a malak. <laughs> no, it's all about the that fact that, 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 uh, that uh, this Yosha was part of the group that came back from Babylonian captivity. Their long time out, seventy year time out, where they came back. And uh, they uh, rebuilt the uh, the house of Yahweh, the temple that had been destroyed uh, by the Babylonians. And so he happened to be coterminous as the chief priest along with at the time of Zachariah. So Zachariah was shown a vision where he was a scumbag and literally a scallywag. Uh, and you say, well, so what does that have to do? with the theme of this book, which is Yom Kippurim. <laughs> well, we found out. We, uh, we read Kara Leviticus, the 16th chapter, which goes all the way through what Aaron, as the chief priest upon the, uh, during the, uh, the Exodus, the Yatzah, what he had to do mm-hmm. to not only resolve his own screw-ups, like the golden calf comes to mind, and that's why it's a bull's blood to start with, and then the scapegoat. Uh, why that blood is then smeared on what? The kaporeth. Kaporeth mm-hmm. is based upon kapar, which is the basis of Yom Kippurum, which is the plural of kapar. And so the mercy seat of the covenant has the same name as the day of reconciliation, and it's that day which is the only day the chief priest has said, you need to go do this on the mercy seat and sprinkle this blood on the mercy seat to reconcile the relationship between Israel and Yahweh. So what's the purpose of Yom Kippurim, Day of Reconciliations, to reconcile the relationship between Israel and Yahweh. And so the whole story is about how there has to be a priest someone in the role of a priest that can go in and sprinkle the blood of the bull and the goat on the mercy seat, the Kippurath, of the Ark of the Covenant to facilitate the Day of Reconciliation on the Day of Reconciliation, or there can be no reconciliation according to the Torah, and Yahweh is not going to violate his Torah. So it's all being set up to say, Oh, by there's a way, there is a guy that we were told had blood on his hands that just happens to be available 
on that day. And that's what it's all pointing towards. But we'll, uh, yeah. we'll learn more of that in a moment. So that's the story of, uh, of Zechariah 3 and how it pertains to Kara Leviticus 16. Cool. I mean, it was at least I, I guess you, you have to really get into this stuff and, and love it like we do to, to have that be uh, something that trips your trigger. But it, it really did me, man. When I I was, you know, so many people have so many different agendas on who is the uh, Yosha of, uh, of Zachariah. Why is the high priest and what is said about him and why Satan is accusing him? Mm hmm. Uh, that it was, it was exhilarating, really, to figure out what was going on. I mean, our job. I, I was reading the uh, the chat room here, and uh, one of my favorite people, uh, 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 Steve, who writes under uh, BB in the uh, the chat room, was saying, "Good grief! You know, your current chapters are really long. I think I need a yada yada for dummies." Uh, and he's getting he's a very he's a very smart man, um, but. Yeah, I mean, but it's true. They they are really long chapters, and and the reason I, I brought that up is that uh, the most recent chapters. If I encourage everybody to read uh, the first volume of ITG, the second volume of ITG is is darn near as good. Is they are long chapters, and there's a lot mm -hmm. of amazing information in them, and some surprising insights and and connections that we're making along the way. Uh, but our target audience even though they have been played for fools, are still very bright people. And yes, they're not indeed. fools. They've, they've just been fooled. And to undo the damage that the rabbis have done to Yahweh's chosen people, takes some doing. And you aren't going to, uh, you aren't going to fool them. You know, there's, they know that the Christian Jesus wasn't the Messiah. And they're right. They know that the Christian Jesus was not the Son of God. And they're right. Somewhere they know that Dode was anointed the Messiah, but they don't know that he's the returning Messiah, even though the Torah and prophets, well, not the Torah, but the prophets make that crystal Very clear. clear. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they don't recognize him as the Son of God, even though the prophets make that perfectly clear as well yeah i called him that yeah yeah and they certainly do not recognize that yosha was the passover lamb that's a really important role mm -hmm. and of course they've been fooled to think there was an oral torah and that the oral torah was also inspired by hashem and yet there was no such thing and that the written torah destroys the very religion of Judaism. Well, these are smart people that have been played for fools. And so it is exhilarating when we learn something in studying the Torah and prophets. And this is literally bringing the Torah and prophets together. The Hebrew word for understanding, bien, is making connections between things to understand. Mm -hmm. Well, the epitome of that is figuring out Zachariah based upon what we read in, in uh, Kara in the middle of the, of the Torah. And so those kind of profound insights have 
credibility that goes along with them that ultimately will resonate with the chosen people. May I say that, that what I found, it, it happened to me, happened to most of the people that I've talked to in depth about how they, um, can, uh, why this grabbed them. And there's usually some yeah. trigger that grabs them. But once yes. they get over that hump, then they will read, as we did, thousands mm-hmm. of pages. So yes. it's not that they're so long. They they just may look a little overwhelming. But if you get into the right. early chapters, and I, I read, I'm rereading all the first chapters and introduction to each one of these books and each one of them are are um asked the question well we're going to cover this da 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 and 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 those things should grab you if you're interested at all and if you are you you'll you'll just keep reading so it's it the long the length of these books doesn't would not discourage me and it certainly wouldn't discourage somebody who's interested in their their heritage Correct. Oh, my God. I mean, this is life. This so, is literally life and death. It's your yeah. soul continues or your soul ceases. This is being I looked at it, yeah. being dragged into Sheol by rabbis lying to you or listening to Moshe and the likes of Zachariah and Yashaya and Dod and mm-hmm. following them into Shamayim heaven. Yeah. I mean, what? In a, in a world that is falling apart, in a world where the currency no longer has any value, in a world yeah. where people don't have any control over their own uh, financial well-being, in a world where there's a pandemic that has crippled us and changed virtually everything, everything worldwide, yeah. in a world where anti-Semitism is on a... <laughs> steep incline on a world where Russia and China are aligned together in opposition to the United States and Europe and where the entire Middle East is ablaze, boy, you'd think that you might want to spend a little time to see if God's got an answer. Because it's for damn sure men don't. Yes. So, one of the most challenging prophecies to interpret is found in Zechariah 4. Based upon the way it reads, it's apparent that the prophet (laughs) he didn't understand it either. And by the way, there are prophecies that the prophets don't understand. There's prophecies that the prophet gets, like Zechariah, to his credit, in witnessing uh, the events around uh, Yosha, the high priest, I he got it immediately. I didn't yeah. get it until the fourth time I was translating it. So sometimes the prophets are way ahead of us, and they're not just reporting what they see. They understand what they see. That's like Chabauk listening to uh, uh, Paul lie and deceive people. And Boy, he, he, he said, wait a minute, this whole thing is based upon God dying. God can't die? So, so mm-hmm. Sometimes they're with it, sometimes they're not. Uh, Zachariah, I don't think he understood. But, in fact, I know he didn't understand because he says he doesn't understand. <laughs> That's, okay, so there you go. So while it's rare, sometimes God says things that are well beyond the original audience and only become meaningful to those who will be affected by them. Uh, I, Interesting thing we were talking about it in the, in before the show began. Uh, there is a 
a presentation of the knacker and uh, Moshe's speech uh, to the children of Israel uh, during uh, uh, in the in the midst of uh, Debatim 29, and he's even telling Israel says uh, this is going to happen during the last generation. So he set the time, he set the conditions that this is going to occur in. He says, you know, not going to happen until the the last generation. And the, he even says that the reason this is going to happen is is up to now and beyond. God has not given you the capacity uh, to see, to understand. You can't, you aren't able to put it together, but he's going to change that, which is good news for us. So it, it tells us that, that a day is coming where God's going to pull the blinders off the eyes of his people. So mm-hmm. Kapuram is going to be satisfactory to Yahweh because of what he's going to do to open the minds, hearts, and, and eyes uh, of his people. So the reason I brought that up to you is I said, okay, I couldn't understand how in the world Solomon, who was a pretty smart dude, uh, but how did Solomon, in the midst of the most important speech ever made, in terms of the event anyway, mm-hmm. why did he go off and start talking about Anacre. What yeah. would he even come up with the term? Why would he make this big presentation on what this guy is going to do and, and you know, get it all right, by the way? Well, it's because he had not only read the Torah, he had written the Torah. It was the responsibility of every king to write a personal copy themselves so that they would know it intimately. And Moshe introduces the knacker and talks about his contribution uh, to awaken Yisrael and bring Yisrael home in the last generation. So did Moshe's audience understand that? <laughs> no. I doubt it. Not a chance. <laughs> but, no. uh, you know, 500 plus years later, Solomon did. And, you know, uh, 3,000 years after that, we have. Took us a little time, but we got there. So we are now nearing the time of the two witnesses. So perhaps the allegorical language that is presented, because the witnesses are presented in Zechariah 4, where there's two of them. And maybe now, as we near the time that they're going to appear, the allegorical language that is used to present them will resonate with us. The Malak guiding Zachariah was not among the most direct communicators because he wanted, and this is, by the way, common in the teaching. foreign prophets. Yes, teaching. He, he yeah. wanted Zachariah to make the connection between the things he was presenting so that he could figure out their identity and their purpose. And that's the way God communicates everything. He wants us to look at the information that he has given us, to listen to him, to closely examine and carefully consider it so that we can be in after we yada. 
After we come to know it, we can make the connections to understand it. That's what he wanted Zachariah to do and us to do as well. Moreover, the prophet was awakened from his sleep to see this this particular revelation. So it's germane to say that the prophecy was after a long sleep for uh, Yisrael. All right. So here is how it begins. Then the heavenly messenger, Waha Malak, the spiritual being, returned, who had spoken to me. He roused me in a way which could be compared to an individual being awakened from his sleep. Okay, so when I first did this, in fact, until just now, I was reading that as, all right, you know, we typically don't wake up really zippy. Now, there are people that say, good God, morning, and there's others, good morning, God. I'm a, I'm a zippy awaker, man. When I, come morning, man, I am ready to go. I'm not so good at night. <laughs> but, uh, I'm, a, but I'm pretty good in the morning. I, you know? I am. I'll cover for you. Yeah, yeah so, uh, you know, but that's not, that's not the issue here. Well, it is an excuse yeah. for Zachary, yeah, and, he was, and he's clearly stating, okay, I didn't get this. Here's my excuse. Uh, yeah. It's really about y- Israel has endured a long slumber, and they're finally being awakened. That's what this is about. So duly noted. Zachariah was not fully awake. Actually, he was awakening, which is exactly what Moshe said was going to happen. And yet, without explanation, he is shown a collection of objects. And he said to me, what do you see? You know, if a malak is asking you questions, then he expects you to figure it out. I replied, while using the perception of sight, behold, a menorah comprised entirely of gold. It was being revealed. First and foremost, above everything else. All right. The center of the focus is the menorah. Oh, wow. That's a a heck of a clue right there. What Mm -hmm. does the menorah represent? It represents on one side, Pesach, Matzah, and Bakurim. On the other side, it represents Teruah, Kapurim, and Sukkah. Yes. And in the middle, it represents Shabuah, where God's children are enriched and empowered. It re- represents the six steps that we walk to Yahweh. It represents the Roy G. Biv, the seven colors of the rainbow. Rainbow. Mm-hmm. Which is the sign of the covenant. The rainbow is the sign of the covenant because it's the fullness of light. And light is where Yahweh was taking us. He saw the one symbol that Yahweh uses to depict his plan, his people, his nature. It was a menorah. It was being revealed, first and foremost, above everything else. There were seven lamps on it. It epitomized seven, he said. Why? Because 
The plan is six plus one equals seven. We are nearing year 6,000 yaw. Year 6,000 yaw is 2033. It is being presented as, as a calendar. That what we're witnessing here is this transition between year 6,000 yaw and year 7,000 yaw where we are empowered and enriched and can live with our God for a thousand years. And there were seven metal castings serving as channels and spouts on the lamps, which to show the way to the benefits of the relationship were on top of it. He's describing the menorah, which is a lamp. Zechariah 4.2. Yahweh's mm-hmm. Rosh, foremost symbol, is his menorah. It is a light stand comprised of six olive lights on either side of a single lamp in the middle. God, who is light, is represented by the center luminary. The three spring mikre, Pesach, Matzah, and Bakurim, are depicted by the first three lamps looking from right to left, the direction of Hebrew writing. The final three near lamps represent the fall moed, Teruah, Kippurim, and Sukkah. In the center and with God, we are enriched and empowered and enlightened on Shavuah, the promise of seven. The oil in these lamps represents the Ruach Kodesh. The olive tree is deeply and firmly rooted in the land. The olive is the longest lived tree in the land. The oil of the olive is nutritious. It serves as a healing ointment. It is used for anointing. And it provides perfectly brilliant illumination. Now, just saying here, God cheats. Mm-hmm. He created the daggone thing. And it, you know, his metaphors walk on all fours. They are spectacular. But he he did get to create them. You know, if you can create your own metaphors, you do have an advantage if you are the creator of the universe. This one is really good. Yeah, it's really, really good. Okay? Mm -hmm. I I mean that in the kindest possible way. Key to understanding the first uh, installment of this prophetic portrait is the recognition that Galah means uh-huh. to be revealed. Right? Galah means to be revealed, yes. to be exposed, to be made known. It does not mean yeah. bowl or fountain as religious institutions would have us believe. That was the thing that got me in so much trouble. I was trying to say, what in the heck is he talking about? What in the world is the bowl? Right? Uh, no, there's the it. I'll read the prophecy again. He asked me, what do you see? I replied, while using the perception of sight, Ra'ah, behold, a menorah comprised entirely of gold. It was being revealed, Galah, first and foremost, above everything else. He al-Rosh, he. Mm-hmm. Not a bowl. 
it's being revealed, Galah. Yes. And then he went on to describe it. So the key to understanding the first installment is that Galah means to be revealed, to be exposed, to make known. It doesn't mean bowl or... There's no fountains on the uh, menorah. No. Correctly translated, we are not struggling to figure out what a bowl was doing hovering above the menorah. And with Gala rendered correctly, we can focus on Yahweh's menorah, recognizing that it is first and foremost above everything else when it comes to God's symbols. There's another Yeah. Yeah, it's a heck of a clue. And it's comprised of Sheba, seven near small containers of olive oil. Yes, Sheba, seven. There are also seven mutska places for oil to flow. Beyond the seven Moed Mikre, Yahweh spoke of his choder. The stem growing out of the rootstock of Yishai, which means to stand out and be noticed. And he revealed that the means he would use to keep him anchored, Divin Yashaya 11.1. Well, let me read that to you, because there seems to be a connection here. Mm-hmm. And a stem off the main branch, a choder, a sucker emerging from the root will be extended, emerging from the rootstock of Yishai, to stand out and be noticed, as an observant branch, a netzar. Through the roots and that which keeps him anchored, steadfast and nourished, such that he will continually bear an abundance of fruit, being productive while encouraging productivity in others. This is because the one spirit of Yahweh will settle and remain upon him. The spirit, too, providing the capacity to comprehend and teach. And three, the spirit to enable understanding and to make connections to reveal Insights. And four, the spirit of advice and counsel. And five, the spirit of being emboldened and inspiring. And six, the spirit of knowing and knowledge, of recognizing where to look for answers to acquire information. So as to seven, Respect and revere Yahweh. That's Yeshaya, Isaiah 11.2. Mm-hmm. Yeah, As we journey through the prophecy again, you want to understand what the prophets are saying. You have to make the connections. That's what we're doing here. That's what the Malach was asking Zachariah to do. So as we journey through the prophecy regarding the identity and purpose of the two witnesses, Yahweh will remind us that his spirit is responsible for their success. Further, Yahweh will equate them to olive trees, affirming the choder stem and the sucker metaphor. 
It is also instructive to know that in addition to the seven Moed Mikre and the seven benefits associated with Yahweh's spirit, there are seven colors in the rainbow. And of course, this is relevant because the rainbow is the symbol of the covenant. These colors are red, orange, and yellow on top. Green, symbolic of growth in the middle. And blue, indigo, and violet beneath. The menorah is Yahweh's witness. From it, we can deduce insights into his nature and plan. And that is why the two witnesses represented by the olive trees are stationed on either side of Yahweh's symbolic luminary. That's what they're focused on. The story of the menorah begins with the tree which enables it to shine, illuminating our lives, the olive. It is symbolic of Yahweh's people in conjunction with his spirit. And as shared a moment ago, the olive is native to the land. It is firmly rooted and able to survive even the most severe storms. It is particularly long-lived. Its fruit must be crushed before it's productive. And olive oil remains a source of brilliant light, healing ointment, and nourishment. It's the perfect way to convey many of the meaningful things that are relevant to God. Before we turn to Zechariah 4.3, is there anything in there Mm -hmm. that uh, your uh, artistry uh, found as you analyze the words or the letters? Well, you might... You might want to wait to the end because there's okay. so many words in there that uh, and I'll just okay. build my case on at the end. Well, I'll just show you what okay. they all are. All right. And okay. it's kind of, I'll, uh, it's I'll, kind I'll of overwhelming. I we'll don't do want to that break the flow. You okay. Know, we'll do that. And then we can talk okay. about it later. Yeah, because this is really, I mean, I, I'm you know, rub my hands again. This is really interesting stuff. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. There were, there were two, this is now we're turning to the text itself. There were two olive trees by it, by the menorah. One on the right Mm -hmm. of the Revelation, the Galah, and the other one on its left. Now remember, we always read in Hebrew from right to left. Everything goes from right to left. Mm -hmm. Yes, there will be two witnesses. The one on the right was identified in the final line of what may have been the last prophet. In Malachi, Malachi 4, 4 through 6, we discovered that he is Eliah, Elijah. These could well be Yahweh's last words to his people. I'm going to read the conclusion of Malachi 4, 4. Remember, Zakar, the Torah teaching and guidance of my associate, Moshe, which, to show the way to the benefits of the relationship, I provided as instructions through him in Toreb for all Yisrael, including the prescriptions for living that cut you into the relationship and the means to exercise good judgment, particularly regarding the way to resolve disputes. Behold, I myself will send to you Elia, the prophet, 
before the coming arrival of this exceedingly important and awesomely inspiring day of Yahweh. Then he will restore the thinking and the inclinations of the fathers for the children and the thinking and inclinations of the children to their fathers, or otherwise I will arrive and inflict the land because it is so disfigured it appears like the sea, which is a metaphor for Gentiles. And by the way, in the Torah, when Yahweh says, you know, I'm... I'm not going to facilitate the, your inclination to think about this, to make good decisions about it. It's written exactly the same way as it is here. Eliyah is an interesting choice. He did not provide even a tenth of the prophecies of Moshe, of Dod, of Samuel, of Yermiah, or Yashayah. But he had something we do not see in other prophets. Eliyah was sarcastic. He was quick-witted and exceedingly judgmental. He knew how to play that crowd on Yahweh's behalf. He was always ready and willing to trash the reputations of the religious and political. We don't see that in other prophets. We don't see them in a debate. We don't see them interacting where somebody is throwing stuff at them and is accusing them, is attacking them, and criticizing them, and to see how he can immediately twist it such that God's message resonates and the people that are criticizing him are torn to ribbons by a quick-witted and well chosen and timely response. Uh, clearly, Dode was more articulate as was Moshe, as even was Yashayah and Yermayah. But no one had what Elyah had. Biting, quick-witted, exceedingly judgmental sarcasm. Therefore, and God, by the way, God must love it. Mm-hmm. Therefore, we can deduce a couple of things. First, God recognizes the merit and mocking as society's leadership, openly and bluntly exposing and condemning them. And second, he is fond of a witness who is not afraid to stand up against the rich and powerful. Those that have read... The, uh, the last two volumes that uh, I've written, and it's uh, also uh, one that I'm in the midst of, is not published yet. But if you have read um, the Moed volume, uh, or even the, uh, the Harvest uh, volume, followed by the Appointment volume of Yada Yada, 5 and 6, and if you've read the Introduction to God, you know that um, I am not kind to rabbis. And I am exceedingly sarcastic, biting. Uh, it, the tone is unlike anything that we had ever dealt with before. Um, 
mocking them. And so um, I, it's clear that this has Yahweh's hand all over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's the biggest change, I would say, in the rewrite, is the attention's focused on rabbis, and it's very, very similar to the tone that El Yah takes with the religious and political establishment of his day. So with Elia being chosen to witness to Yisrael in the years before Yahweh's arrival, his partner will likely share many of the same traits, hmm? albeit oh, yeah. more in tune with the challenging false notions of Christians, Muslims, and progressive multiculturalists which were not around in, um, in Elia's day. No. There had much difference in the religions that Elia was denouncing and the religion of Judaism. Mm-hmm. He understands his, uh, his people will have no problem with the political and religious elite. Okay. But he knows nothing of Christianity, nothing of Islam, nothing of progressive multiculturalists. Uh, and Yahweh likes to use people who have a working knowledge of what he despises. Let me give you the best example in the world. Moshe. The reason Moshe was chosen and why no one else could fill that role is because Moshe had walked away from having spent a lifetime right in the heart of the beast. He understood it. And so, in the second witness, based upon God acknowledging that Elyah will be one of the two. And the one thing that distinguishes Elijah is this quick-witted, exceedingly biting, judgmental rhetoric. Um, the only difference is that we're, there are more foes now than, uh, than Jews. Now, since the choder is a sucker growing out of the rootstock, every time I say sucker, I, I smile yeah. because I, I happen to like the self-effacing nature of that term. Sucker is mm-hmm. a pejorative in the English language. Yes. Uh, sucker is not a pejorative and for anyone that understands the nature of an olive tree. A sucker on an olive tree shows that an old stump, Yes, an old stump rooted in the ground that's been cut down. There is no look life at all that anyone has noticed in this old tree, but a sucker can come up right from the rootstock. And that sucker, unlike a sucker on, on most any other tree, can be exceedingly productive, bringing that stump back to life. So if you understand the olive, which is God's metaphor here, <laughs> choder's a really good thing, but in English it's a pejorative, so it's, it's well, God being sarcastic probably, because it's kind of fun. But nonetheless, the, uh, the uh, choder is a sucker, growing out of the rootstock of an old olive tree, giving it new life. Perhaps he is the other witness, standing on either side of the menorah, the the two olive trees will be discussing Yahweh's symbols and using them to reveal his Torah. So Zechariah 4.4. 4. 
So then I responded by saying to the spiritual messenger, the Malak, who had spoken to me, why are these here, sir? Not the answer the Malak wanted to hear. Didn't want to hear a question. He wanted to hear an answer. Yeah. You know, Zachariah had already impressed the living tar out of him with the, well, let me bring in the, the headscarf uh, as it relates to the high priest. Mm-hmm. So Zachariah was on his game. Dude, God does not use dumb people. Zachariah was, was smart. He knew his Torah. And so the messenger thought, you know, you should have been able to figure this out, pal. And the heavenly representative who had spoken with me answered, and he said to me, why don't you know Yada or understand what these represent? I said, I I, I don't, sir. Hmm. So it is, this is a case where he just did not understand. And I'm telling you that I've been doing this now 21 years. Uh, I, First four times, five times I went through it, I wouldn't even publish my tra- my uh, translation of them because I, I didn't understand it. So this is the very first time that I've shared a translation of this because, and I, I even said to uh, to yeah on this, I said okay, okay, I know that to present Kaporam that I've got to translate Zachariah. It appears to me that I've got to go right from the beginning and work through the, uh, the prophet to do your day justice. But if I'm going to do that, hey, uh, the, up to this point, I have not understood Zachariah 3 with who in the heck is, uh, is Yosa in this case. And, uh, and the presentation of the two witnesses I'm, I'm right with Zachariah. I ain't got a clue. So if we're going to do this, I'm going to need some help. So I said, I do not know, sir. Then he answered and said to me, this is the word of Yahweh to Zerubbabel the nauseating seed of the Lord of Confusion sown by Babylon's commingling. Think of that. This is the word of Yahweh to the nauseating seed of the Lord and the confusion sown by Babylon's commingling. This is God's answer to Judaism. Islam, Christianity, and socialist secular humanism. Zero Babel. Zero is seed. Babel is with the Lord. It is to say, not by might, not by ability, not by wealth, not by physical strength or one's capabilities, not by armies or troops, not with religion or politics, and not with force or authority, but in actuality, with my spirit, 
declares Yahweh. Oh, okay. So the answer isn't going to come through a religious institution. The answer is not going to come through a national politic. It's not going to happen at the UN Conference on Climate Change. It isn't going to happen in a, another trillion-dollar spending bill from the administration and Congress. It's not going to come from the most powerful army to ever exist in Navy and Air Force. This isn't going to come by might. It's not going to be come from a Kyle Rittenhouse that carries a, an assault rifle. In fact, the individuals delivering the word of God to accuse the influence of Babylon. They're not going to be do it with might or with wealth. They're not going to do it with force. They're not going to do it with any authority figure. No. The word that's going to devastate Babylon's influence is going to be spoken having been inspired by Yahweh's spirit. We know that Elia was inspired by Yahweh's spirit. Most brilliant oratory, funny, uh, direct, biting, perfect, relevant. We know that. And the sucker, he's got the seven spirits of Yah working for him. And his whole focus is on the word of Yahweh. So he says, hey, I don't understand. The two olive trees are focused on the menorah. And so the messenger answered, okay, let me explain it to you. It ain't hard. This is the word of Yahweh to the nauseating seed of the Lord and the confusion sown by Babylon's commingling. It is to say, not by might, not by ability, not by wealth, not by force, not by some human authority, but in actuality, with my spirit, declares Yahweh, the vast array of spiritual messengers. Up to this point of the messenger's question, Zachariah had been shown a menorah, two olive trees, both of which he would have understood, including the connections between them. His interjection of the head wrap into the previous vision confirms that he knew his Torah. We're dealing with a well-read and bright man who was likely chosen because he was a quick study. Moreover, he would have had access to all of the prophets up to and possibly even including some of Malachi. One of the oldest scrolls found at Qumran dating to the late 2nd century BCE, includes all of the minor prophets with Zachariah's revelations positioned after Malachi's at the end of the scroll. Therefore, since he would have been intimately familiar with the design and the message of the menorah, 
and he would have understood its association with the olive, his question would not have been, what are these, but instead, why are these being presented to me? In Malachi's revelation, only one witness is listed, the other being sent to awaken Yisraelites from their slumber, just as Zechariah had been roused from his sleep. So, with that in mind, and considering Zechariah's inherent aptitude, he was asking, why are these here? He was wondering, why are there two olive trees witnessing on either side of the menorah? Now, before we reconsider the Malak's answer, remember, this is the man who interjected himself into the previous episode, telling the Malak to include the head wrap. I know the Torah too, but I didn't make that connection until after the spirit pointed me to Kara for the answer. For Zachariah to have not only deduced this in the moment, which means he actually understood the content of the vision, but to have been so confident in his assessment that he would complete the scene while in Yahweh's presence says that our prophet is much smarter than me and probably you and me combined. Indeed. I'm going to tell you, Kirk, if mm-hmm. you and I are witnessing that episode in front of, uh, take place in front of Yahweh, mm-hmm. neither you or I are going to make a contribution. <laughs> That's not no, going to happen. No, no. no, I mean, not, not one chance so in, a, in, a, in, a, in a billion, 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 billion. I don't know if it's, no, I don't think it's stage fright. I just think we'd, we'd just be oh, well, too, overwhelmed, like, too wow. overwhelmed. Yeah, too overwhelmed. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You know, wow is not, is, is not a cogent answer. <laughs> and that's probably the best either one of us would uh, mutter. And even that quietly so as not to draw attention to ourselves. Okay. So Zachariah's got it all over us. Fair enough to say? Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Based upon his calling, his intellect, and his desire to follow Yahweh's words to their intended conclusion, Zachariah would have been familiar with Yahshua's prophetic presentation of the Choder Stem. With the entire chapter focused on him and the role he would eventually play, the prophet would have understood that Yahweh intended to enlighten and empower, equip and embolden the Choder with his spirit so that he could compose the Ness sign that God would raise on behalf of his people. Therefore, he would have surmised that it would not be by might, it would not be by ability or wealth, nor through armies, religion, or politics, and especially not through status or some personal qualifications that the Choder would bring new life to an old and abandoned olive tree, but instead with my spirit. It's really important. You and I kidded about this at the beginning of the show. Mm -hmm. The appointment to the role of Choder and Knacker 
is nothing that anyone can brag about. It's like standing on top of a stepladder. It's, it's like winning a contest when there is no other contestant. It's, Come in first. it's getting first prize when you're the only one in the race. Okay? Race hands. Yeah. There, there were no other choices. So, and, and to make it work, God had to lavish all seven spirits, everything he had in his toolbox. <laughs> Both barrels. Okay, so it's the coolest job in the history of jobs. Well, no, it's the coolest job since Malachi and Zachariah. Uh, it's the coolest job since them. But you know, it's an unnamed role, and and uh, it was awarded by default. That being so, why was the Malak being so snippy with him? Why do we read, and the heavenly representative who had spoken with me answered and said to me, why do you not know yada or understand what these represent? Now, I'm telling you that I'm not expecting the Malak to be sarcastic. I don't mind being put down by Yahweh and said, hey, pal. It wasn't because you had anything going for you. It was just, you were just the only option. I looked around, you were it. I looked around, you were it. Uh, so the very fact that you were willing to do this, uh, okay, that, 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 was, that was good enough. I could, I could work with the rest of it. But Zachariah is being, who is a prophet of Yahweh, is being admonished, really. Mm-hmm. I am a lock. You know, that, this is entirely different than than what you know. If you look at Zachary or Toad's ninety first Mismore Psalm, there are plenty assigned to everyone who is engaged conveying Yahweh's message. Yeah, they're they're there to help you. I'm not expecting the Malak to say, "Hey, stupid, come on, get with the program." What's wrong with you? You know, because I'd, I'd come back and say, well, if you're so damn smart, why don't you do it? <laughs> you know, I'm going to go take a swim. See you later. Take a walk on the beach. You do it. Well, I'll tell you what, my tush hurts. I've been in this chair a long time. Yeah. The, the answer was provided by Dode. So, and the heavenly representative spoke with me, answered, and said to me, why don't you know yada or understand what these represent? The answer was provided by Dode. Yep, in the 14th Mismore. He identified the choter as yada. Do you know that? Yes. It is I the do. only other time that the choter is mentioned. And so the spiritual messenger already duly impressed by Zachariah's previous session with Yahweh, expected a similar response, knowing that Dode had written the following. The wise, the thinking and prudent, the most skillful and capable, properly instructed and learned woman, builds up her home and family. While the foolish tears it down. Mm 
their own hands. The wisest of feminine individuals, by the way, is the set-apart spirit. Yes. Although uh, I have been blessed to have an exceedingly wise, thinking, and prudent woman building up my home and family. Mm-hmm. While the foolish tears it down with her own hands. He who walks with integrity in what he knows to be right respects and reveres Yahweh. One of the reasons, by the way, that there aren't any um, competitors, even today, 20 years after the Yahweh made his choice, it Mm-hmm. is you know that there aren't other contenders is there's no one else writing about Yahweh. And yeah. central to the Nash, central to the Nacker, according to God, is a reverence and respect for Yahweh's name. Uh, making Yahweh's name known. No one else is doing that. And it's it's central to the mission. So, he who walks with integrity, he knows what's right, and he respects and reveres, yeah. The devious who are going the wrong way along the errant path uh, disregards and despises him. Yeah, that's the truth. I would, uh, I would ask the, those who think that the rabbis are so G-D smart to find Yahweh's name anywhere in their Babylonian Talmud. By the way, the seed of Babylon? You may want to open the cover of the Babylonian Talmud to find it. Mm -hmm. Over the pronouncements of the stupidly stubborn citizenry and corrupt leaders, over the pronouncements of the stupidly stubborn citizenry and the corrupt leaders, the simpletons, who as a nation of idiots fail to comprehend, of the ignorant and irrational government systems perverting and mocking the truth by promoting deceptions, of the argumentative and the licentious leaders of an unthinking community who are adverse to understanding. A choder, a stem off the main branch, who is an observant individual willing to listen and committed to thinking while treasuring the things which are valued, the choder will be lifted up to oppose and to agitate. The awa will triumphantly rise up and grow to become an excellent counterbalance and an effective influence, roaring behalf of the Almighty. And so the language of the one who learns, who comes to understand and then teaches, will focus on what he observes. With no herds to graze or beasts of burden, the one responsible for their feeding and care has empty fields. And yet a productive and abundant harvest is derived by the vigor and effort 
of the bold who are observant and responsive. A trustworthy and reliable, enduring witness does not intentionally or consistently communicate that which is false. And yet a false and misleading witness pours out a torrent of lies and delusions. A scoffer intermittently seeks expertise and erudition, but there is none. Understanding based upon knowledge is swift and easy for the one who makes the proper connections. You should choose to walk away from the presence of an ignorant and irrational individual because otherwise you will not come to know or appreciate Yada's understanding of the language or information and insights deduced from these words. The capacity to understand for the prudent and discerning comes by way of him making intelligent connections. However, the foolishness of the corrupt leadership deceives and misleads the irrational and the ignorant. Beguiled by corrupt leadership, those incapable of thinking for themselves mock, showing no respect for the atoning sacrifice. Alternatively, those who are right, on the level and straightforward, observe the connections between these things and come to understand the choices which lead to being approved and accepted. The locus of a person's thoughts and emotions knows, yada, his own soul's mental anguish and hostility. And even if he experiences genuine jubilation as a result of overcoming adversity, no one benefits from that which is unacceptable, inappropriate, and illegitimate. The house of the revolving, uh, excuse me, of the revolting, revolting. and religious, mm-hmm. yeah, the revolting and the religious will be decimated and destroyed. The, sci- the shining shelter and radiant household of those who are right will flourish and thrive. There is a way which appears right to humankind, but ends in the way of death. Mashal, Proverbs 14, 12. Zachariah was much better informed and smarter than me, so the Malak was holding him to a high standard with his response. Since Yahweh had already introduced the Choder, explained his role, shared his name through Yashayah and Dod, the spiritual messenger thought that he would have realized that. While the first witness was Elia, the Choder, Yada, was represented by the olive tree on the sunset side of the menorah. This is Yahweh's style. The Malek, Malak representing him answered Zachariah indirectly, providing him with the information that he would use to make the necessary connections to understand. And with this in mind, let's, uh, let's re-examine Zechariah 4, 4 through 6. Okay. So then I responded 
by saying to the spiritual messenger who has spoken to me, what are these here, sir? And the heavenly messenger who had spoken with me answered, and he said to me, why do you not know, yada, or understand what these represent? I said, I, I do not, sir. Then he answered, and he said to me, this is the word of Yahweh to Zerubbabel, the nauseating and scorched seed of the Lord, and the confusion sown by Babylon's commingling. It is to say, not by might, ability, or wealth, and not by the force or by some authority, but in actuality with my spirit, declares Yahweh, of the vast array of spiritual messengers. Now this is to say that the last two messengers represented by the early and late olive trees would speak the word of Yahweh, which was represented by his menorah's illumination against Zerubbabel, the nauseating seed of the Lord and the confusions sown by Babylon's confusing commingling. The witnesses will be speaking out against that which is sown and scattered by being with Bel, the Lord, and Satan's association with the confounding nature of Babylon. Religion is the product of intermixing and commingling truth and lies to more effectively deceive. It's how Satan first beguiled Chawa in the garden. It has remained his strategy ever since which explains why the Talmud, Zohar, New Testament, and Quran contain so many misappropriated and misquoted statements from Yahweh's Torah and Nabi. Why, Zerubbabel is a name. Based upon the man's history, it speaks of the seed of Babylon. Like everything else associated with Satan in Zerubbabel, there is a commingling of good and bad. On the one hand, the word represents that which has been Zara, sown and scattered by Bel, the Lord, out of Babel, Babylon. And indeed, Yahweh will deploy two witnesses to call his people out of Babylon. But speaking of coming out of Babylon, the man named Zerubbabel came out of Babylon in one way, but not in another. He was appointed by Cyrus, the king of Babylon, to oversee Yaudah, Judea, upon the people's return from captivity. So while he walked out of Babylon, he carried its influence with him. With only one exception, he is always mentioned in the entourage of Yosha, the high priest, whom Yahweh called perverted. Mm-hmm. In Ezra 3.2 through 3.8, we find Zerubbabel's name listed alongside Yosha ben Yerushadak in concert with their journey out of Babylon, whereupon they commenced in rebuilding the temple. His name is mentioned in Ezra 5.2 in the same context. And Nehemiah, 12.1, we find a similar reference indicating nothing more than that he was among those 
who had come from Babylon, including Yosha. And Haggai, it gets a bit more interesting because in 1-1, Zerubbabel is introduced as the governor of Yehuda, which is to say that he had been appointed by King Cyrus of Babylon. Then it is Yosha ben Yosadak, the high priest in the previous revelation, who announces that Yahweh has decided that the time has come, the house of Yahweh to be rebuilt. Two, the first of two really positive accolades follow, wherein the same assemblage of fellows, along with the entire remnant of the people, listen to the voice of Yahweh as conveyed through the words of Haggai, the prophet. We learn that Yahweh stirred up a spirit of Zerubbabel, governor of Yahuda, and the spirit of Yahusha, the high priest, and then the spirit of all of the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of Yahweh. Haggai 1, 12 through 14. Considering Yahweh's negative assessment of these guys in the previous prophecy, he was using them much like he had used Cyrus. There is a curt genealogical reference in 1 Chronicles 3, leaving only one final mention in the short two-page declaration of Haggai regarding the man born and bred in Babylon. His final line reads, Say to Zerubbabel, the governor administering the district the district for the king of Yahudah, saying, I will shake up the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the throne of the kingdoms of the monarchical governments. I will decimate the militaries of the governments of the Gentile nations. I will destroy the mobilized weapons of war and those who drive them. I will send their airplanes crashing down with their pilots abandoning ship, everyone falling by the dagger and sword of his brother and countrymen. On that day, declares Yahweh of hosts, I will grasp hold of you, Zerubbabel, son of Shiltil, which means I question God, who has served my interest, declares Yahweh, and I will cause you to be like a signet, an implement to make an impression, a seal and contrivance denoting an official designation. Because of you, I have made this decision as it will be the best option, declares Yahweh of the spiritual messengers. The most positive spin that can be placed upon this is that Zerubbabel was uh, similar to the king who had sent him. In Yeshaya 45, God says, of the arrogance and the murdering pagan patriarch uh, monarch that thus says Yahweh to his anointed, to Cyrus, for the sake of my associate, Jacob, and Yisrael, my chosen, I call you by your name. I name you, though you do not know me. They were tools. Tools to be used Mm -hmm. on behalf of Yisrael. But we will not see either of these Babylonians 
and Shamaim. Therefore, just as Yahweh denounced Yosha and his and his entourage, which would have included Zerubbabel, and has concluded his assessment of him by suggesting that he is the very uh, insignia of Babylon, which has necessitated the demise of the modern incarnations of the Babylonian influence, we are wise to see Zerubbabel as the seed of Babylon. As a talented debater and orator, as was Elia, I suspect that even the prophet will be pleased to know that his witness will be enlightened and empowered by the Spirit. He went after Baal, the Lord, previously, and made mincemeat of Satan and his prophets. But a lot has transpired in the ensuing millennia, and the forces of evil have honed and diversified their game. Yahweh used an ordinary man coupled with a strong and forceful hand to withdraw his people from Mitzrayim. But his mission, this mission, is very different. Babylon isn't so much a place of slavery, but instead a host of debilitating institutions and crippling beliefs. The approach to the end, while plagued by man, will be framed in the words of God, spoken by the two individuals alongside a menorah. Then when the shouting is over, just as we read in the 14th Mashal, the foolish will die so that those who are right may live. Now, speaking to those who respect the might of nations and their militaries over the spirit of God, authority figures over inspiration, the spiritual, the spiritual messenger, the Malak asks, what do you think you are? A great and prominent figure? Before the presence of Zerubbabel, the confusing seed sown by Babylon, there will be a leveling out of those who are no longer upright. Then he will remove the capstone amid the deceitful and destructive shouts. Be kind and merciful towards it. Now, whether it is political, religious, or geographic Babylon, there is a Capitol Hill in America, the Vatican above all in Rome, and claims to the Temple Mount among Muslims. They all believe that they hold the high ground and that their claims are lofty and important. Yeah, not so much in God's eyes, because he's going to level them. It is what happens when a person who is standing against him dissolves, turning to goo. Those who have questioned what is agreeable and straightforward will be flatlined, reduced in dimensions, such that they only exist in time. The capstone of Christianity is the New Testament. The cornerstone of Judaism is the Babylonian Talmud. For Americans, it is their claims of superiority and manifest destiny, the right to meddle in everyone else's lives. For Muslims, it is Allahu Akbar. 
the absurd notion that Allah is greater, bigger, older, more capable than Yahweh, although Allah, Allah Akbar really means Allah is a mouse. <laughs> God does have a sense of humor. Uh, confronting indeed. them with the truth, the witnesses will be reduced to rubble. To consume the fruit of Babylon is to be confused. The result of intermixing the Lord's, Lord's seeds with those shared by Yahweh. The presence of Babel, men and women, are misled. To be Babel with the Lord is to be estranged from Yah. Our only hope is to come out of her before it is too late. Before this leveling out is spoken of in the I said, this leveling out is spoken in the prophets. A voice calls out, remember, to make straightforward mm-hmm. the approach to Yahweh. The monoliths which have emerged out of Babylon are going to be toppled. With the capstone removed, the edifice is going to fall. But even then, those who prefer the lies to the truth, religion over relationship with God will cry, even to their no, last no. breath. Yeah, there's going to be tashu'ah, deceitful and destructive shouts which are devastatingly ruinous, worthless and falsified clamoring. Be kind and merciful towards it. Out of their minds, the faithful will shout, Chin, chin, lahu. Show some favoritism and respect, considering her popularity, her overall acceptance, and her beauty. Political correctness run amok. <clears throat> the masses will not like the hateful rhetoric brought to bear against Christianity, Judaism, Islam, and especially progressive multiculturalism. And yet that's going to be the message of the two witnesses. Well, I've got to tell you, I loved every word spoken by Elia. The world will react hatefully to his style. Yada will be similarly received. In the battle between Yah and the Lord, Satan, grace, grace, will not prevail. The witness's message will be inspired by the menorah to bring down the lofty edifice of Babylon. And yet even as the exemplar of man's worst behavior And the preeminent beast, some good, came out of Babylon. Cyrus released God's people. And Zerubbabel Mm -hmm. oversaw the construction of the house of Yah. Zechariah 4.9 Then the word of Yahweh came to exist inside me, saying, The actions of Zerubbabel the seed of Babylon, established a foundation for the house. But under his influence, it would come to a violent end, as he was greedy for an unjust gain. And therefore, you will know that Yahweh of the spiritual messengers has sent me to you. Because why deride and show contempt For this insignificant day, when you can delight in seeing the plumb line 
in the hand of Zerubbabel. These seven eyes of Yahweh, they roam throughout the entire land. All right, so Zachariah was a prophet, not a reporter. So announcing the completion of the second temple was hardly news and certainly not going to validate his credentials. But what was prophetic, especially with the copy of this prophecy dating to the second century BCE, is that in the first century CE, the house of Yahweh would, Batza, come to a violent end as a result of those greedy for an unjust gain. It would be broken apart and torn down, ceasing to exist. The prophecy fulfilled. What Yahweh appears to be saying is that we should not sweat the fact that Zerubbabel and his priests, along with their Babylonian amalgamation of religion and politics, played a role in rebuilding the temple. The temple of the Babylonians had torn down. Further, what they were building would be misused by Yehudim and then ripped apart by Rome, the seed of Babylon. They took its riches to fund the construction of their abhorrent Colosseum. It was an insignificant act during the time the beast of Babylon was evolving through Persia to Greece to Rome, and then to Roman Catholicism. Therefore, we should see the humor, or at least the irony, in the seed of Babylon holding the plumb line. The seven eyes of Yahweh roaming the land seems to attest to this. Yahweh was aware of what was going to happen, so he watched as the world evolved into the precipice of self-annihilation. As for Zachariah, well, he was still stuck on finding an answer to his initial question as to why these two olive trees were there. Yep. It was then that I interjected and asked of him, who are these olive trees? On the right and on the left of the menorah. Who is on the right and who is on the left? And then I made a second request, and I asked of him, Who are these two twigs? The sprigs. Speaking of smaller stems off the main branch of the olive trees, which are in reach of the two golden pipes, pouring forth from out of them that which is golden, brilliant and shimmering, valuable and desirable. Zachariah 4.12. Well, first of all, it appears that we were correct. Zachariah understood the symbolism of the menorah and appreciated the witness of the olive trees. He just wanted to know why there were two of them. And since there were two, he wanted to identify them. Mm Mm-hmm. In his final request, Zachariah offers some additional insights. The olives are more akin to twigs, eh, smaller stems off the main branch. And that is to say they were uh, choderesque, 
further, they were near the source of the olive oil, within reach of the two golden conduits, one to Pesach, Matz, and Bakurim, the other two to Ruach, Kippurim, and Sukkah. As a result, that which was ha-zahab, brilliant and valuable, would flow out of them. This is to say that the Spirit would inspire them to speak the word of Yahweh with her authority. And so he replied to me by asking, Even now, do you not know Yada and realize who these are? Again, I answered, no, sir. So he said, they are the two sons of the olive oil and thus the anointed ones who stand present before Yahweh for everyone on earth. So he said, they are the two sons of the olive oil and thus the anointed ones. The sons of the olive oil, that would be sons of the spirit, born of the set-apart spirit, who stand present before Yahweh for everyone on earth. They are the final two witnesses. This would make them Elia and Yada, children of the spirit and beneficiaries of the anointed Masayak Dod present and standing before Yahweh, they serve as witnesses for everyone throughout the land. Well, this is the first time I've been able to explain Zachariah 3 or 4. I'm obviously a slow study. I have been acquainted with this message for some time. About four years ago now, I was sitting at my desk, maybe three. I guess about three years ago, I was sitting at my desk. I was completing a translation and preparing for one of these programs, a Shabbat Torah study, on uh, right here, Yadi Radio. My fiance at the time, my wife today, asked, "So, what's going to happen to Asher? Asher is right here on my uh, my left foot. I think it's asleep because she's got her entire body weight laying on top of it." And uh, she says, so what's going to happen to Asher, it's our Labrador, after the Teruah harvest? So I asked Yah, I said, hey, Yah, can, can we bring her with us? To which he said, where do you think you're going? Why do you think I openly named one of the two witnesses and not the other? All right, Kirk. So you said you did a little, um, uh, little well, artistry ask, with some of these uh, these words. Um, I want to tell you that is with all the enthusiasm that I can muster, I went through that because if I don't present it that way, I just break down in tears no, and I want understand. to cry, em- embarrassed. Yeah, let me let me say this, um, and I. I don't want to distract from this presentation because I think it's wonderful. I mean, I enjoyed it as much reading it, and I enjoyed it even more, and you're reading it tonight and following along with the insights and and so forth and a few things that I kind of discovered. Uh, Let me do this rather than Mm -hmm. fill people up with minutiae that will be less effective. 
because they should just dwell on this. Um, I was studying, you know, we, we, we know the name Yada, we know how, how it, what it is, Necker, Choder, et al. And um, as I was looking through the early words of this, I found some really interesting things that I thought, well, that has to be, it can't be anything else. That's got to be this Goy person. So, um, and it's, it's a little bit um, heavy on detail. But let okay. me write it all down precisely. I will send it to you in the meantime. Next week, okay. if you think it has well, worthy, we will discuss it because it is pretty cool, at least it is to me, but I get off on these things, so that's why. Okay. But uh, let me do it that way because I really don't want to disturb this. They should they should mm-hmm. stop and just, uh, if they're not reading along with it, they should just stop and, and uh, play this over because this is uh, this is a unique presentation of some wonderful stuff. And just um, well, Zachariah was inspired to introduce us to the single most important day, yeah. and Yah was eternal existence. Mm-hmm. Or Masa is the most important day, and our human existence, from our perspective, looking at Same. Yah and coming to Yah, it's uh, the Chag Masa, Pesach Batzer Bakurim. Mm-hmm. Uh, Matzah is not a lot of fun for God. Nor was no, it's horrible. So, no. the, that's not the highlight of his existence. Let me share that with you. The no, highlight of, of God's yeah. existence is the ultimate reconciliation, the coming together, the return of the chosen people. The ultimate celebration is Yom Kippur. And Yahweh to have Yom Kippurim be an important date for it, to it to live up to Yahweh's expectation, what is the one thing that has to occur? What is the one thing that is missing from Yom Kippurim being the day that Yahweh enjoys more than any other day in his entire eternal existence? The return of his people. Oh, yeah. And how do his people return if there aren't witnesses pointing them in the right direction? Because I'm here to tell you, yeah. the Torah has been with us for 3,400 years. The most recent of the prophets, this one, for example, has been with us for 2,500 years. The information has been there. It's been written down. It's been available. It was given to God's people and their language. Given to them and their language. It's been there for 2,500 to 3,400 years. And they're no closer today to celebrating the Day of Reconciliations than they were 3,450 years ago. Mm-hmm. So something has to change. And how is God going to get his people's attention so that they pay attention to and for the first time ever understand his message and respond appropriately to it if he doesn't have a witness? Mm-hmm. That he's, is why these have, yeah. two witnesses were presented 
right here at the beginning of Yahweh's prophetic testimony regarding the fulfillment of Yom Kippurim because there is no celebration of Yom Kippurim without the difference that the witnesses make. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I tell you, it's um, it's well said, it's well written, it's worth reading over and over and over again. I hope I can add some stuff to it next week. I think I can. I saw a, uh, I'll just, what I discussed with you, and I saw a, a program that uh, covered the oldest languages and where they came from, and by gosh, before they got through with it, they found something that uh, has uh, the Hebrew letters, pictographs on it, mm-hmm. and um, and it was, um, and they can, they can just know from that stage where mankind these people, Hebrews, I'm sure they were, they call them Canaanites, but they were Hebrews, mm-hmm. uh, could, um, could uh, took the pictographs more than just a concept symbol to a sound and turned it into a, a fruitful language, unbelievable. And why they walked away from the pictographs, I'll never know. This has to be because it'd be too simple, I guess, then. They, they couldn't twist it. The religious people couldn't twist it. But in there, in this passage, there was a whole bunch of stuff that points to the Choder, uh, to the Nacri. And um, I just thought I'd add it, so I'm going to write it to you. And um, okay. tell me what you think, and now, we'll present for, it. Uh, for those who are listening here, mm-hmm. because you're still on the phone, we, I see that there's a lot of, of listeners. The switchboard is still full of, uh, of okay. uh, listeners who are still hearing us, uh, beyond the fact that 99% of the listenership for this program is through the uh, the archives which are presented on uh yahweh Barat. uh they're pre- presented on the uh linked from the yadaya.com site yada y-a-d-a y-a-h yada ya and yada yawa.com uh, sites but um all of the supporting sites including shamar torah uh and uh, uh David's God, uh, where he has every passage uh, presented in its entirety that we have translated. Um, and Yahweh Bereth, these are all sites that can post what uh, you have written. Uh, Kirk is a very analog guy. I'm an analog guy in a digital world where we're throwbacks to a different age. Uh, mm-hmm. Kirk's favorite way of communicating is to write it on... Um, on lined paper, ruled paper, Legal with bad. his artist's <laughs> hand of the of the original characters, and then to draw pictures that help us understand. In other words, he's communicating exactly as the language was designed. Uh, <clears throat> those uh, as attachments can be presented on those sites. They are, those sites are linked directly from the uh, yadaya.com site. And so, for those who want to prepare. Prior to uh, uh, next week's program, as, uh, as Kirk and I are going to do by, by reading what he has found, uh, I'm certain that our friends will post it there and we'll have the chance to, um, to consider it before the, uh, the program. And there yeah. is something that you said that is, uh, I have admitted here recently, that is a big difference mm-hmm. from the, I've been doing this program now for, I guess, for 15 years probably. And 
in the last six months to a year, there has been a decided difference from the way I used to do the program. I used to only read the uh, citations from the Torah and Prophets and never read any of my commentary. And I would always yeah. extemporaneously speak to the the prophetic text. The verses you were doing. And, yeah. you know, here at this program, I would say probably a third of what I communicated was extemporaneous, including all the review of the news. But uh, about a third of what mm-hmm. I talked about, even in this uh, review of the text of Zachariah uh, 4, including my review of Zachariah 3 and Kara, was extemporaneous or, uh, yeah. uh, or impromptu. And the reason that I've always preferred that is that I, there's a sincerity that comes from knowing the material and being comfortable with it to the extent uh, that it just flows out of you. And so I thought that style was additive to the text so that someone who had read the books would get even more out of the programs because we looked at each of Yahweh's prophetic statements from fresh eyes and a new perspective with yeah. the audio program. Right from the heart. Yeah. yeah. That changed about a year ago. Uh, as you said, I read my commentary now. Mm-hmm. I know probably 10 times more than I knew a year ago, which is 10 times more than I knew two years ago, uh, and 10 times, 10 times, 10 times more than three years ago. Uh, this is a pretty steep learning curve in this uh, uh, when it comes to Yahweh's witness. So I'm much more comfortable ex- talking extemporaneously than I was previously. Yeah. But there's something that mm-hmm. happened, and, and I don't know what the trigger was, but there's something that happened uh, during the rewrite of these books. And, you know, we're, we're well past now 20 of the volumes that have been rewritten. Something happened where the way that the commentary regarding the insights that could be derived from Yahweh's translations um, took on a, a, a different tenor. It, um, when it came to being anti-religious and political, it was much more biting, much more um, Elia-like. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it came to the insights, they were much more profound. Uh, oh, yeah. And so the commentary, as it was placed in writing on this, uh, you know, during this last year and a half, as we've been re- retranslating and rewriting everything, has a very different um, tenor to it, I guess, is the best term, a resonance to it. Uh, and I'm convinced that if I don't share it with you as as it was conveyed to me as I was writing it, that yeah. rather than um, uh, than uh, providing something that you could just read, I think I would be cheating the uh, the listener. I, I think now that it's better to hear it and to be able to read it and have it re- have it reinforced this way, um, because it, there's just 
so much to it. It's so rich. It is. Uh, there's so many um, intertwined strings in this fabric, threads to this fabric. Uh, and it's so relevant for Yahweh's people uh, that that this is a, a different style to this program. And, um, you know, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm not a listener to the program, but as you, like a participant, so I, mm-hmm. I don't know how that might sound to our, our yeah. listeners, but it is as, as the Spirit is, is leading, says it's as it should be. Yahweh has a very, very strong preference for the written word overwhelmingly so and yet Yahweh constantly tells us in additioning to shamar to observe which is to read the written word mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that we should listen to him and we listen to him by reciting those words and so it is this this permanence of the written word this ability to do your own investigation and verification and analysis at your own pace and depth that is only available in the written word, that is not available in the spoken word, that God cherishes, but that he also wants us to mouth the words, to hear them, to listen to them. And the, the enthusiasm and passion that can be derived from them. And so this style of depending upon and cherishing the written word and then conveying it so that we can hear it, that's Yahweh's style. And the more that we do this, Kirk, the more Mm -hmm. our style and our perspective mirrors his. We become more like him the more time we spend with him, which is as it should be. And me, so that is the reason you, for this uh, style. Go ahead. Yeah, there was one, one little taste of, of uh, the first one that had hit me. Uh, I think I understand the letters better than I ever have before in the sense of the, especially mm-hmm. in the context of what's being written, and I can see it, but there's a, there's a little word where we started in Zechariah 4.1, um, which is um, Gala. And Gala is written as a, a gimel and a, a lamb and a hay. Mm-hmm. But the gimel is always considered, a, most of the time, would be a bad word, because and it's not mm-hmm. a bad word so much as a, a, a word that's going in the wrong direction. Negative implication, right. yes. So uh, I'm looking at that, and I'm saying this is really important why why is, is the word chosen gala and it means to uncover or to expose and that's normally you'll find that everywhere but then I thought well heck Kirk you dummy, dummy uh, it's a goy and what's the lamb do it's leading you where is it leading you it's to uh, to revere Yah that's an upright so it's a lamb hey uh, and in the context of who we're going to be talking about throughout this whole thing is uh, he's asking Zachariah who is this guy? I mean, what is it? Who is, what is, you know, he's trying to tell him who Yada is. He's trying yeah, to say, look, think. And it's all yeah. in little words that you wouldn't even think you would find it there. And, yeah, and, 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 and it's just uh-huh. you've pointed out, Gala is the word, the first word that you went to. If you recall mm-hmm. at the beginning of this program, I said the, the central word here that, that 
unravels all of this for us is Gala. Until you understand yeah, Gala, yeah. you're trying to figure out what a bowl is doing floating above the menorah, and now you've got mm-hmm. a symbol that makes no sense. You know, I read yeah. 20 different analyses of what this, the crazy bowl represents, and I want to tell you, stupid is as stupid does. And then I said, yeah. ay, 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 there is no bowl. Yeah. Gala means to reveal, to expose, to make known. And then once, once you're there, now what are you making known? You're making known the menorah and mm-hmm. the, uh, the two the olive path, trees, the which the then Yahweh yeah. explains, which are the words of Yahweh yeah. against the confusing influence of Babel, Babylon, that he is inspiring through his spirit. And yeah. as you have just uh, pointed out, and I missed, that... There's more to Gala than what is we conveyed and, and revealed. Gala is the gimel. It's the it's the goyim. It's the foot going in the wrong direction. Uh, typically, right? Uh, yeah, certainly, yeah, the the, uh, the foot going ag- against the flow because Hebrew reads from right to left. Uh, gimel's but, going but from left to it, right. Yeah. But, but if you look at it, it's, you it's think a of, think of Yahweh's, you think about the Israelites. They're all going from left to right, yeah. and they're yeah, all going absolutely. away from God. And so yeah. here's this guy. He's walking against them, yeah. confronting them. Yeah. Gala, to make a, re- a yeah. revelation. And what, what are the other two letters? Alamed. He's trying to guide these wayward sheep back into the fold. Right. And who's he speaking to? to the hay. The hay, the observant individual who's looking up, reaching up to God. To in awe to Yahweh, which is, you know. But he is walking towards them with the shaft of the shepherd and walking to those people. Yeah. Yeah, so there we are. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot of stuff there. I mean, I think yes. that's why we found that's why we found the letters. Yes, it's just wow. Just re- reiterates yeah. everything we said. It's not as uh, right. Yeah, and yeah, well, you know, it's I think it's important to communicate this and to reinforce it. Um, mm-hmm. It is not an honor. It is not a trophy. It is not. There's no remuneration. There's no uh, prize. There's no there's no anything that goes along with the the job of Choder, Knacker, other than it's really fun and cool to work with Yahweh. It really is. I mean, it's the best job in the yeah. in the universe to be able to do that. You know, unfortunately, some of the joy is a little different because to see this prophetically presented, now there's a sense of responsibility. And so, you know, oh, tendency to spend a little too much time in the in the chair trying to uh, to write this. But that aside, the thing that changed so profoundly is that for God to mention what, how He was going to reconcile His relationship with the people and how He was finally going to get their attention, and to see it all over, beginning in the Torah running through the uh, the prophets with entire chapters, multiple chapters about 
this individual mm-hmm. uh, and Yashaya. Um, and, you know, the centerpiece of, of two of the most inspiring speeches that ever made. Um, Yahweh is trying to say, pay attention. I'm doing this for you. He's, yeah, he's a tool that I'm using. I'm doing this for you so that you come home. Capitalize on what God's doing. Listen. So he is only one reason that he is prophetically making these announcements, particularly to the remnant in the last days. You've got a lot of people lying to you. You've got a lot of people that are taking you in the wrong direction. God chose somebody to reveal the truth to you. And he wants you to listen. And that's the reason he's saying all of this. And ultimately, there are those two witnesses. They're on either side of the menorah. They're speaking the word of God against Babel. By the way, think about um, unglamorous jobs. Can you imagine what that's going to be like? Uh, it's hard. It's hard to imagine. Yeah. Uh, just everybody, everybody <laughs> against stuff, you. I mean, yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's going to be a. To be, I mean, it'll be fun to uh, to listen to Elia rip them to shreds. That'll be worth mm-hmm. worth a giggle. But I'm sure that old Goy can put his two, three, two or three cents yeah. in there, and and uh, he knows yeah. he knows the world that is today. Yes, uh, Zachariah cannot know that. No, he's not. Uh, Zachariah okay, okay is not prepared. Yeah. Yakriya is a quick study. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah. uh, Elia, excuse me, Elia is a quick study. And, and yes, and, and Elia is, uh, is capable of debating and effectively uh, destroying the credibility of uh, anyone who is uh, misled and full of themselves. Hey, dude, dude's got yeah. it. Um, he, yeah. has, he, has, he has the gift. Uh, but Elia's preference is to... Uh, deploy implements that are already aware of what's wrong because yeah. his preference is to emphasize what's right because there's so much to learn about what's right that if you already know and you already agree with him on what's wrong that's kind of his preference and mm-hmm. so yeah I, I don't see uh, el well, clearly el is only one of the two olives so yeah uh yeah, he's he's going to uh, have a, a a bud that's uh, going to be a little more up to speed with uh, where the world has uh, has gone. And you know, we're right. keep in mind too, we're not we're not only speaking to uh, Israelites. God made it really clear that there's one Torah for all, there's one covenant for all, and in his speech in Debatim. Uh, Moshe said, you know, I, I'm not just cutting this uh, covenant with Israel. I'm, I'm cutting it for all the foreigners who are here that have decided that they want to camp out with us. Yeah. It's for all, of, it's for all, of, it's for all of them, yeah. too. Yeah. If you want to yeah, walk and, this path, you're in. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you listen to Solomon's speech... It very clearly says that uh, while his 
priority is going to be Yisrael simultaneously. Uh, he's going to be speaking to and, and resonating with uh, other Goyim. So, you know, in the end, it's, it's going to be plenty of both. So you do have Elia to speak effectively to the the people. And I, boy, I'd rather I, I'm I'm uh, writing a lot about Judaism these days, but uh, I would really rather have uh, Elia. You take him on. Have that yeah. yeah, take him on. You know, the uh, one of the things just is just so hilarious to me is that uh, the whole nature of corruption of uh, of religion is you counterfeit uh, something that is true. So uh, the rabbinical seder, the uh, the Passover dinner, while the plate oh, has become uh, yeah. yeah totally uh, Keynesian, yeah. they're making an offering mm-hmm. that God uh, uh, rejected uh, on their plate. They've got all, all manner of veggies and, and really no lamb. Uh, they the rabbis set a place, glass of wine. A little, they they even put a Zoroa on the plate. Wow. For Elia. And guess what day that Elia is returning? Passover. Yeah. So he actually is coming back on Passover. <laughs> I'm here. Did you set my table? I'm here. Let's talk about oh, it. by the way. Yeah, let's talk about it. Uh, you got some explaining to do because, yeah, yeah, I was not very happy with you. Uh, well, he is coming back on Passover. That's, and so one of the nice things about that is that if indeed uh, the final harvest, uh, Teruah harvest, if it is on Teruah in, uh, in 2029, uh, then we would have uh, six months uh, of away time prior mm-hmm. to having to, uh, to return. So uh, uh, that that part's pretty appealing. <laughs> a little vacation <laughs> may go to Alpha Centauri. Who knows? <laughs> a little vacation. Uh, go visit a nebula or two. Uh, uh, might might even play uh, play a round of golf. I never know. I yeah. never, know. never been able to play Cypress uh, Hill or the. Uh, uh, Cypress Point, I should say, or our yeah. um, uh, Augusta National. Although I'm not quite as crazy about playing Augusta National as I am a number of uh, other courses. But I don't know why I got into that. But, but anyway, it sounds appealing know. to have a to have a little uh, a have little a vacation, little have a little golf, have a little vacation, be able to go take a walk on the beach with the dog. Asher, are you going to come with me? Asher has finally woke up from her nap. Ah. Yeah, the, the show starts later. It's way past Asher's bedtime. Yeah. All right, my sorry, friend. Sorry, Asher. Uh, sorry to get yeah, to sorry. yeah the silliness of playing golf that is uh, irresponsible. Yeah. Hey, what the I heck? Know, it is man. late. It is That's late true. here, and I'm an I'm an older guy. It's past my bedtime. Yeah. Good night. <laughs> May God bless. Good night. Look forward to being with you all next week. Uh, you know, Shalom. and Shalom. if uh, if we're going to be retired for uh, for uh, uh, making silly comments and. And the uh, the like, <laughs> so be it. <laughs> Good luck finding another one, huh? Yeah, yeah. yeah. you have a little leverage. You have a yeah. little leverage. Have a little, you know? yeah. <laughs> just, just, just 
the the will to do it is uh, ought to be. I'm still willing. Yeah, I'm still uh, still willing. I'm looking behind me. There's Miller's slow, but he shows up. Right. There's uh, there's 20 volumes here that says willing. (laughs) Don't know how able, but that's those 20 volumes sure as heck they willing. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's over two feet just at the spines. That suggests willing. God likes willing. Willing goes a long way. Yep, available and willing. Oh, yeah. Okay, well, have, so, uh, have fun. Happy Shabbat. Yep. Look forward to your uh, your um, graphic I'll, I'll analysis. I'll be working tomorrow and put it all together. It was a really, really good insight with uh, uh, Galah. That's uh, such yeah. a perfect word because it's the word that leads to the understanding of this whole thing. It's the word that takes away the confusion and takes us to understanding. It ain't a bowl. It ain't a bowl. All right. <laughs> Good night, my friend. Good night. Bye. Yes, Good night. Sir. You too. Bye-bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.